Try to imagine that you're 29 years old, just days before your wedding, and a doctor gives you devastating news that drastically changes your wedding plans and your road ahead. For Megan, bad odds started after she felt a pain in her breast. With no family history and not even 30 years old, she was diagnosed with an aggressive breast cancer and faced some tough decisions she had to make immediately. Throughout a fight for her life, her story was so compelling that ABC News flew her up to New York to be featured on Good Morning America. In this episode of the Unprivate Parts podcast, Megan hopes her story will wake all women up to the truths about breast cancer. Welcome to Unprivate Parts, a podcast hosted by Women's Hospital. Join us as we pull back the proverbial curtain with honest discussions on women's health and the uncomfortable subjects we all want answers to. And I have the pleasure, the pleasure really, of introducing you to Megan Battle in today's discussion. She's adorable. And you know, our goal is to make women more comfortable talking about the important issues that could really have a major impact in their lives. This is absolutely one of those issues and an important time during the month of October to discuss that. So thank you so much, Megan, for being so vulnerable and willing to share your story so that hopefully you can touch the lives of others. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's talk about your background. You are pharmacy tech Mm -hmm. from Denham Springs, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Planned a beautiful wedding back in April of 2019, April 27th. Yep. That's the date. And around April 12th, you went to see a doctor because you had pain in your breast. Mm-hmm. You were diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer on just a few days later, April 17th, yep. just 10 days before your wedding. Do you remember that time vividly and what occurred, what was going through your mind, or is it kind of all a blur? Yeah. So it was a Wednesday when we had to go meet with Dr. Bowie. And it was me, my husband, my mom, and my aunt. We all went to the appointment. And just me and my husband went back there and we were sitting in the room and she came in, she sat down and she said, I'm just going to tell you it is, it's cancer. And I just, oh my gosh, I'm already going to start crying. So I just looked at my husband and I was just thinking like, crap, what are we going to do? I mean, it, I mean, all we could think about was getting married, you know, in a week and a half. And then this is thrown at us and she just immediately went into planning mode. You know, she said, Let's go ahead and do the genetic testing. We need to figure out, you know, if you have any gene mutations, anything like that. She was already setting me up with other doctor appointments. And so we immediately went from her office to the geneticist. Um, We did all the genetic testing. I didn't have any gene mutations. We have, you know, no history of it in our family. And then um, the next day I met with Dr. Zataran, my oncologist, a medical oncologist. And she basically went over everything that we were about to go through and told us, like, we can't wait. We need to start chemo now because it is an aggressive form of cancer. So the first thing I asked her was if I was going to lose my hair because I had such long hair. And, I mean, I loved it. And she's like, yes, you're going to lose it. And so that's what made me cry. Of Everything, that's what made me cry. And she said, you know, um, I know y'all are planning on going on a honeymoon right after y'all get married, but... I think you need to go ahead and weigh your options with meeting with a fertility specialist. She gave me Dr. Chappell's number and um, he actually called me from his cell phone that day and said, look, I want to meet with you immediately. We can go over all your options, but I do think you need to cancel your honeymoon so we can get this going if this is, you know, the road that y'all choose to take. And I mean, of course we had talked about having kids. We 
knew we wanted them one day, but having to make that decision within a day, that was a lot of pressure. So we met with him on Monday, the 22nd, and I started injections for um, IVF the next day. And I saw him every day leading up to my wedding. I was in his office at noon on Friday, the day of our rehearsal, doing an ultrasound. And I was injecting myself right before I put on my wedding dress to walk down the aisle. It was a lot. So um, it kind of like put our wedding on the back burner a little bit. But thankfully that day was just about us and it wasn't about cancer. It wasn't about what we were going through. Oh my gosh. So all the last minute details of the wedding that most brides are working out the last 10 days, they just didn't matter. matter anymore. Didn't matter. I didn't care about anything. I mean, I, I'm such like a anxiety ridden person. I figured like the day of my wedding, I would be so stressed. And I just, yeah. I remember going to sit out. We had stayed, our wedding was at Desert Plantation. And I remember going to sit out on the porch that morning and I was by myself and I was just rocking in the rocking chair and just taking it all in. How much of your life, not just your wedding and your honeymoon plans, but how much of your life do you remember changed in an instant? Everything, day? everything. I didn't even go to work that after I was diagnosed that day. I don't think I went back to work until a week after our wedding. Like, it's just everything. I was just consumed with doctors. And no family history. Nothing. I want to stress that because had this thought, uh, had this thought of this possibility ever occurred to you? Never. 29 years old? Never. I would have never, ever assumed that this would happen to me. Ever. Would it... October mean to you in terms of breast cancer awareness month before your diagnosis? Honestly, I mean, everything was pink and that's just as far as it went for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't really give it much thought other than wanting to support breast cancer. Right. You know, I, this has a whole new meaning now. You mentioned that you did notice something out of the ordinary that December prior, prior mm -hmm. to your diagnosis. What was that? I did feel um, a small lump when I was in the shower but it didn't, I mean, I had had lumps before that had disappeared and I was just like, oh, this is just another one. Didn't think much of it. And I honestly would not have even thought about it again until it started hurting. So were you doing the self examinations mm -hmm. or the, okay. Yeah. So you knew about how to yeah. examine yourself and just thought it was nothing. Mm -hmm. And then do you feel like Sometimes you might be a bit of a hypochondriac if you go in and it's nothing. And maybe that prevents you from going in to the doctor sooner. Do you think that's, I, that's I a think common a lot of people, theme. if it's not really bothering you, you're not really going to yeah. address it at that moment. Yeah. And how long did they think the cancer was growing when you found it? Probably a few months. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was lucky I was stage one. But mm -hmm. um, I think if we had waited any longer... It, was going to be definitely worse. And Megan, it was triple negative breast cancer, which yes. the American Cancer Society actually accounts for 10 to 15% of all mm -hmm. cancers, all breast cancers. It grows and spreads faster mm -hmm. than other breast cancers. The treatment options are limited and there's typically a worse prognosis. Had you even heard of that type of cancer before no. this time? No. And I remember when we got that diagnosis, my husband said to me after, he's like, I thought I actually thought that was good because you think, you know, negative, it's like negative for all of the bad stuff. And turns out it's 
one of the worst ones you can get. So yeah, it threw us for a loop. I had no idea you, there were so many variations of breast cancer mm-hmm. until being diagnosed with it. And that's why we're talking about this mm-hmm. today. We're trying to help to inform people. Um, and speaking of that, I think it's typical for anybody in today's society to get online on Google, research everything you can. Uh, what I advise against that. Yeah. So what was that? What were, what were you reading? What type of literature were you finding online? And oh. what was going through your head as a result? We basically went home and just assumed I was going to die. I mean, we read so much on Google. My husband finally looked at me and he was like, put your phone down. Mm-hmm. Let's just, I mean, everything that you find on triple negative is horrible. The odds are bad. And, um, I just say, leave it to your doctors. If you have any questions, you need to ask your doctor. Do not ask Google because Google is not going to give you what you need. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the signs and symptoms, Megan. Um, swelling, it's not its not just a lump. You could have swelling mm-hmm. on all parts of the breast, even if you don't have a lump. Skin dimpling, sometimes it's described as sort of an orange peel. Mm-hmm. Uh, breast or nipple pain, which ultimately is what led you mm-hmm. the, to the doctor, the pain a nipple turning inward, nipple or breast skin that is perhaps red or dry, flaking, thickened, uh, nipple discharge, and swollen lymph nodes we hear about. Did you have any of these other symptoms, even looking back, when the pain ultimately is what led you to the doctor? I didn't. No. Mm -mm. Okay, let's go back to the week before the wedding. Of course, you, you have this devastating news now. You're 29 years old. Um, and you learn that this could impact your plan to have children. And the doctors tell you that you have basically very small window of time mm-hmm. to make this decision. Yes. How did you make that decision moving forward? And specifically, what was that like? We just, we sat down and talked about it. And I was like, because it was a lot of money. And I mean, we were already overwhelmed with how much all of this was going to cost and everything. And I was like, and Ben was like, don't worry about it. We'll it's figure not covered it out. by insurance. It's not. Mm-hmm. You did IVF. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that they had recently just gone to legislation to try to pass, you know, to help people that are diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, he, my husband just said, you know, we're going to do what we have to do. We'll figure mm-hmm. it out. But if this is what we need to do to have a future with babies in it, then this is what we're going to do. And I mean, it didn't take us any time to decide. We just did it. And this was in 2019. Can I give a bit of a spoiler alert? You can. I'm so <laughs> happy for you, Megan. I, I do <laughs> want to announce and give women out there such hope that you bring to this conversation because you are pregnant. Yes, I am. And you do in January. <laughs> yep. And do you know if it's a boy or a girl? I do not. You're waiting to find <laughs> out? Yes. And it's a good pregnancy? It's been perfect. I feel great. I'm, I feel very blessed. How do you wrap all of this up? Of course, the cancer diagnosis, the treatment, the COVID, the year of COVID we had, and now you're pregnant. That's an emotional roller coaster, yes. isn't it? It was a lot to go through in two years. I feel like this is the first time in two years that we've been able to sit down and just look at our lives and be like, look at where we have been. I mean, we have come so far. It was literally just April 17th hit, and it was a roller coaster from then on out for two years. I mean, the entire time during COVID, I was still having reconstructive surgeries. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we just, we haven't had a break. And this is the first time where we're just like, we made it. We're doing you made it. it. You yeah. made it. You're doing it. I cannot wait to meet that sweet nah. little baby. 
Um, okay, so the, the roller coaster, it, it started, you mentioned your surgery, but before the surgery, you did go through chemo, mm -hmm. uh, about five months yeah. of chemo. Mm -hmm. What were those first couple of months like for you? You referred to them as the red devil. What does that mean? Okay, the red devil. So that's pretty much the toughest chemo that you can get for breast cancer. And um, it's they have to, a nurse has to sit down next to you and physically push it into your IV. Like it has to literally go a certain speed to enter your veins or you can have a reaction to it. It's really bad stuff. So that's the chemo that made me lose my hair and everything. And I did every other week of that for the first two months. And it was rough. I remember the first, the very first chemo I had that night, I have, I was sicker than I've ever been. And it was scary. I remember telling my husband, I'm not doing this again. I will not do it again. It was that bad. But thankfully after that dose, um, it kind of, I kind of guess I got used to it. And then I had three months of a different um, type of chemo and that was much easier on me, but you know, but you mentioned there were maybe some words or actions that people said or actions that they did that helped to get you through that time. And I really want this podcast to also be about how to support people with breast cancer, what to say, what not to say. What was it that uplifted you and helped you to get through during that time? Well, okay. So I had the most amazing team. Um, my nurses and doctors were just I wouldn't have made it through chemo without them. I looked forward to going to chemo every Friday because I loved. Wait, you went from saying I will <laughs> never do this again to, to looking forward looking to it. Forward to your yes. chemo treatment. I loved the people in in that center. They literally became family to me. I mean, they they knew Ben. They knew me. He had a coloring book that he would color in every Friday, and they would always be like, "What are you coloring today?" I mean, like they knew us. And I looked forward to seeing their faces every week. I mean, that was, you know, the highlight of my chemo because I got to see these people again and catch up what happened during the week. And I remember meeting people on my very first chemo treatment and I was just scared to death. And um, this lady was sitting across from us and she was like, baby, is this your first chemo? I was like, yes, ma'am. And she just gave me all these pointers of what to do, what to eat, what to drink to help me feel better. Just, I mean... Everybody just surrounds you with positivity up there. And I just, I, I loved the atmosphere. You know, you're going through the scariest thing of your life. You're being pumped full of poison. And these people try to make it as easy as possible for you. And I had friends that sent me care packages. Um, I had people don't, didn't even know sending us gift cards to get dinner because it was so hard to eat. So I didn't want... I didn't want to smell anything. If mm, Ben cooked anything, yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to smell it. Mm -hmm. um, we had people making us dinner. I mean, my friends and family just stepped up. I mean, just they were amazing. I had a friend call me and said, "Do you want any groceries? Do you want me to get anything on my way over?" Because she was coming over to visit. My mom, you know, she did all of our grocery shopping for us. Basically, she cleaned <laughs> when I didn't feel good. I mean, I just I had a great I had a great group of people around me. It sounds like those specific actions that people took 
are so meaningful as opposed to someone saying, hey, what can I do to help? Is yeah. there anything I can do to help, Megan? Mm-hmm. That open-ended question that when you're so overwhelmed may seem even too overwhelming to answer. Yeah. So it's the specific things, going to the grocery store, getting yeah. the gift cards. What about anything in particular you remember people said that were helpful or people did people said that were not so supportive, maybe even well-intentioned, but that came across in a way that didn't make you feel great? I think the best thing that anybody could have told me during that time was just, if you need anything, you know, just reach out to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Um, you just basically need somebody there to listen. You don't need opinions. Mm, you don't need, right. you know, just listen. I had a lot of great friends that I could call and just cry and they would just cry with me and they were amazing. And the things that people would say that weren't so great, I think the biggest thing for me was people telling me it's just hair all grow back Oh, until you lose your hair, don't don't say that, because that was one of the hardest things for me was losing my hair. I was a newlywed, and I was a naked mole rat. You know, I felt like an alien, and people would stare at me because I just I never felt comfortable in a wig, so I would go everywhere in a baseball hat. And people would just stare, and you know I know that it looks funny, but don't don't stare. And I remember so when you I feel like everywhere you go, yeah. people are wondering, yes. looking. And it could and be that they're just curious. Security. Yeah. Your hair, do you feel like as a woman, your hair is a source of security? I've, I've heard women say that. Yes. So when you lose it, it's, it's it was a awful. lot about. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I felt like I just lost myself when I lost my hair. And um, I remember when I finished chemo, um, chemo was really not a horrible time for me. I think I went through it pretty, pretty easily. I mean, I kept a smile on my face as much as I could and, um, did the best that I could. It was everything that happened after chemo that was so bad for me. But I remember when I finished chemo, people were like, well, at least you're done with the hard part. And I was like, you don't even know. You just don't even know. So that's something else not to say. Yeah. I mean, and then I had people that said like, you know, at least it was just stage one. It's still cancer. I'm, I still had to go through chemo. I mean, I still had to fight for my life. And what do you do? You just smile and act. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, at that point. Yeah, I just never said anything. Right. It's and, so helpful to hear this, though, I think, for yeah. those people who care and are well-intentioned, but they don't yeah. know what to say. I had somebody tell me, um, I, was just, I was thinking you would be, like, frail and sickly looking. And I was like. I wasn't because I was on steroids. So I had moon paw face. I was swollen. I mean, I literally just looked like a completely different person. So for somebody to see me for the first time and be like, oh, I was thinking you'd be skinny and frail and, you know, you don't look that sick. I feel sick. Gosh. But, you know. This is a 101 on what not to say. You could <laughs> yeah. probably write a book. I could, but definitely. Did you talk to other cancer patients about losing the hair mm-hmm. and um, and what that meant to you. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of just enter this community of friends that have all gone through it and nobody really knows what it's like unless you were actually right. going through it. Right. So I could, you know, I could call my friends and be like, I just want my hair back, but they don't know what that's like because they never lost their hair. Mm-hmm. So all the people that I had met throughout this process, it's just, it was so refreshing to just message them and be like, Today is not a good day. Mm-hmm. I cannot do this today. 
you know, anytime me and my husband would go anywhere, I, I would fight, you know, internally. Do I wear a wig? Do I wear my baseball hat? Mm. You know, and just to have somebody in your corner being like, do whatever makes you feel better. You don't need to worry about what anybody thinks. This is about you. It was just, it was refreshing to have people like that. On September 27, mm. 2019, you rang the bell. Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind at that moment, Megan? During those five months, it kind of felt like it was never going to end. And I remember I had seen people ring the bell a few times while I was getting chemo, and I cried every time they rang the bell. Because I was like, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to get to do that. And my husband would always be like, you're going to do it. That's going to be you one day. And so when the day finally came, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is done. And, I mean, I was so excited. I was so excited to not have to sit in that chair for hours. But I was also sad because I kind of felt like I was losing my hospital family, you know. We really had become so close. And I, I still see them every time I go to the doctor today. And I go in there and talk to everybody. But... It was just a mixture of emotions because I was celebrating this this huge milestone of finishing like the hardest five months of my life. But I was also ner nervous because, you know, we only had three weeks off and then I would have my double mastectomy. And I was just, I was nervous. I was happy. I was sad. You say you only had three weeks off, mm -hmm. but those three weeks, what did they feel like for you? Because I know you were excited about them. I didn't even know what to do with myself. Like mm -hmm. I went back to work and I mean, I had worked through chemo, but like I went back to work full time and no treatments, no treatments. Three weeks. Mm -hmm. And it was just so weird. I remember the first Friday that we didn't go to the hospital and I was at work and I texted my husband. I was like, we would be getting chemo right now, you know? We would be watching a movie right now. <laughs> and it was just, it was weird because that had become our reality. That had become our routine. Every Friday, we would wake up, chemo, go home. And so it was just weird going back into normal life. Like, basically, it had never happened. And it was just, it was really weird. And then October 23rd mm -hmm. is when you had your double mastectomy. And you said that's when the real nightmare started. Yes. So... Whenever I had my mastectomy, they put expanders in, and I had drains coming out. So um, we would have to, you know, um, drain the little bulbs every day. And then it was probably the second week of November, I went to go get my drains removed, and they wouldn't come out. They were stuck. And so I had the best plastic surgeon. And she was literally on the table, on her knees, trying to rip these bulbs out of my skin. And they were not budging. And it was like, it was probably the most painful thing I've ever felt. Mm. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to snip them. We're just going to leave them in. We'll take them out whenever we do your reconstruction. Not even 24 hours later, I was running fever. And we, I called her and I was like, something's wrong. I don't feel good. She's like, get to, get to the assessment center. By the time I got here, I was running like 102 fever and went into emergency surgery. I had um, an MRSA infection in my, in my expander. And I was in the ICU for a couple of days. And then the infection wasn't going away. I wasn't getting any better. And she said, let's go ahead and remove it. And that was just gut-wrenching to me. I was like, I just, I mean, like I didn't even have a month 
you know, right. after surgery, a vomisectomy to even, you know, get a get acquainted with the expanders and like start feeling like myself or anything. And it was just from that moment when we took the expander out, it was just mayhem. And that was a really hard week for me. So I, I tell everybody the surgeries are what broke me. Chemo, I look back at it and it was a breeze. The surgeries broke my soul because I, we actually, whenever we went to New York to be on Good Morning America, I didn't have my expander in. So I stuffed my bra with a sock and I was on national TV with socks in my bra. I know you, you're saying that with such a big <laughs> smile on your face. And I know you make light of that. And what a wonderful memory to be on Good Morning America. Yeah. You received quite a surprise. But before you get to the surprise that you received there, what did it feel like to be on national TV after having and during the course of having this experience in your life? Well, you know, I mean, you can't, I didn't really want to go into detail like what had happened and you know, only a few people really knew what we had just gone through, like with the infection and surgeries and everything. And so um, when we went, honestly, I kind of forgot about it. I mean, it was just, there was so much going on at the time and that seemed like just such a insignificant thing. Yeah. How did, how did they know about your story? How did My that friend happen? actually reached out to them because this whole time, you know, like we just got thrown into this craziness and we were newlyweds and yeah. we didn't have a moment of a newlywed experience. We went from getting married the week after we were married. We had had two surgeries the week after that. I started chemo and there was five months of chemo, then straight into surgeries. I mean, it was not a moment of me and him. And that's really just it broke my heart because I felt like I was taking that from him. And. You know, everybody gets that first year of newlywed bliss and, you know, everybody's in their honeymoon phase. It was never like that for us. It was just craziness. I mean, he went from being a fiance to a husband to essentially a caregiver. I mean, he helped me. He helped wash my hair, you know. I mean. But how selfless, Megan. You, I hope you recognize that, how selfless you yeah. were. Worried about taking that experience away from him while you are going through such a heavy time in your life. Yes. And um, I think you're just bringing hope to so many people by sharing this story. Um, and he was in on the surprise that you yes. received. Tell us, let's, let's, okay, so let's talk friend, about the happy news. Tell us about the surprise. My friend reached out to Good Morning America behind my back. Didn't know anything about That's it. an awesome friend. Right? And got this whole thing going. She apparently had gotten in touch with Ben to let him know, like, look, this is what- And Ben is your husband. Yeah. And so she got in touch with Ben and was like, this is what's happening. This is going on. Don't tell her. And so they had to like come up with a story of why we were getting interviewed for it. And it was just like to tell my story. And essentially they had planned this entire trip and were gifting us a honeymoon because we had missed out on ours. We canceled it, you know. And um, my friends knew just how, how bad that had hurt me. And so where was your honeymoon supposed to be? We were just going to Florida. We were just going to Florida. <laughs> right? Jessica, well, Florida's beautiful. We love Florida. Yeah. But where did you end up going at this Jamaica. time? Jamaica. We Jamaica. Went to, we went to Montego Bay. Nice. I had never been on a plane. So when we flew to New York, that was my first time on a plane. Ever? Ever. Megan. I was terrified. Oh. 
<laughs> I was literally terrified. But you're at a moment in that day when you're looking at life differently too. Yes. Mentioned. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, like 2020 was such a bad year for so many people because COVID hit and, you know, a lot of people lost their lives. And I feel so guilty because I look back on it and in February or January, I had my first plane ride. I went to New York for the first time, was on Good Morning America and was gifted a honeymoon of my dreams. And we ended up going in July of that year to Montego Bay. I mean... 2020 was a huge year for us. Well, you earned it, Megan. <laughs> Do you have a little bit of survivor's guilt, as they call it? A yeah. lot of women talk about that. Yeah, so um, with my type of breast cancer, it's really aggressive. And I know that there have been a lot of women that have been diagnosed with it that are, you know, later stages than what I was given. And um, I feel so bad being at this point in my life, you know, surviving, no cancer, pregnant you know I have a whole life to look forward to and I I do I hate that there's women out there that have a timeline basically and are not given the same outcome that I was given and I hate that because I feel so so blessed to be where I am in my life and I feel so bad for the ones that won't get to experience the things that I will and I don't know why my case was different you know I just, I feel so bad for the ones that won't get to start a family. And well, do you feel like you have a purpose? Yes. I mean, everything just means more. Yeah. Whenever you are looking at your life and it suddenly becomes a fight for it, everything means more. Everything, every relationship means more. Every phone call with friends and family, I just cherished every. Every moment, every little thing that I was given, I just, I feel so grateful for everything in my life because there was a moment when I, you know, questioned if I was even going to have any of this. And, you know, so many people just skate through their everyday routine, not thinking about all the little stuff. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just have been through two years of absolute hell and I love living every day. Mm. I love looking at my husband and, you know, looking at my belly and just being like, this is, this is what it was all for. I mean, we, I have everything right now that I dreamed of two years ago. When did you decide, you decide that you were ready to get pregnant? Oh my gosh. I was ready like a year after I was told I was cancer free. I was ready, ready to go. And they told me I had to wait a little bit longer. I finally got the okay in January from my oncologist. She was like, look, your labs are great. You look great. Just So how long have you been in remission? I have been in remission almost two years. Do you feel like you're in the clear for good? Well, I had a little scare a couple of weeks ago. I found another lump on my right side. And I went through the whole process again, biopsy, ultrasound, mammograms. It was, it was like PTSD of that mm. day. And thankfully it was nothing, but I feel like I'm always going to have that thought in the back of my mind is every new little pain, every new little lump, I always feel like it's going to come back at some point, but I can't live my life like that. Mm-hmm. I have so much to look forward to at this point. I, I don't want to live my life worried every single day that I'm going to have cancer again. So I just got to 
get my mind right. And you're bringing a beautiful life into this world. We cannot wait to meet your baby. We're so excited for you, Megan. You. Do you have any other messages, uh, another message that you want to get out for Breast Cancer Awareness Month? Um, I just want to tell everybody, you know, if you feel something and you aren't sure about it, if you haven't felt it before, ask. I had a friend reach out to me not long ago because she felt a lump. And she's like, should I call my doctor? And I was like, absolutely. You don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, it was nothing. Don't even question. Don't question it. Just go. Because I let it go for a few months. And who knows where I would have ended up if I had let it go any longer. You know, just because we're young doesn't mean anything. Cancer does not care what age you are. And um, I feel like it's just so important for people to advocate for themselves. Like, if, if something doesn't feel right to you, then you need to go get it checked. Megan, thank you so much again for your time today. I know you've touched a lot of people listening today. Thank you. Megan Battle. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unprivate Parts. Be sure to follow Woman's Hospital on social media and follow us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Thank you for listening.